Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. When I was younger, I was uh, the middle child of four. I still actually am the middle child of four. But when we were younger, uh, we would fight a lot. And it would usually start with bugging. You know, one of the siblings would start pestering the other one, and then it would escalate. And, and you know, you'd do something to one person, they would retaliate, and you retaliate more, and all of a sudden you're rolling on the floor throwing punches and all that other stuff. And, and really, this is what we as humans do. It's, it's one thing to see, you know, kids having a fight in a mall. We didn't care where we fought. But it's another thing to see full-on wars happening. You know, when the, when the Soviet empire collapsed in the late 80s, all of a sudden there were, there were small countries that had been absorbed by them, and all of a sudden they were free to restart the wars that they had been doing 80 years before that. The old resentments uh, just spilled out again into, into disgusting conflict. I remember um, in, in the 80s when uh, this region was, was still under the Soviet power, and I remember when, when Sarajevo held the Olympics, which is a great honor for a city in the world. And then it was only a few years later that the city was almost destroyed by a war. And you think, how could this happen? It's because we have a, a cycle of injustice. We're, we have a message series on justice, but injustice increases on its own because this is what we do. When we started the service today, Jordan read the verse uh, included in that was the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And this isn't sort of some arbitrary rule that some harsh deity sort of imposed on us. We know this just through experience. When you do things wrong, there is a consequence, and the ultimate consequence of that is death. And we experience that in little ways, in, in, in relationships, in our job. We experience little deaths. But when that goes, when it perpetuates unchecked, absolute death is the consequence. Sometimes you, you know, share a little bit of office gossip, or you're, or, or you're sharing the laugh when a bully is picking on somebody. You, you ignore a homeless person when they're looking for money and you turn the other way and pretend, it, you pretend they're not there. Those are they're little things. But you take those things to their logical consequence and you can see how injustice increases and increases. And if there's nothing to interrupt that cycle, it increases indefinitely. Because for every act of injustice, a victim is created and the natural default of the victim is to respond with retaliation. And the retaliation is usually more than the original slight. We're uh, in a message series where we're talking about this, this claim that Jesus offers better tools to figure out what justice is and do justice than our culture does. But that leaves us with two questions today. The first is, how has God interrupted this cycle of injustice? The cycle where justice or injustice increases, increase. How does God interrupt that? And then the second question, this one's a little bit more difficult. Over the past two weeks, we talked about, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about how God's ultimate solution to injustice is resurrection. So at final resurrection, there's a judgment. There's a judgment with the highest standard, which is kind of threatening for all of us. It's the highest standard. And then last week we talked about that God's goal of judgment is reconciliation. 
Well, there's a paradox there. How can God make both those things happen? How can he uphold the highest standard of judgment and reconcile himself to human beings and reconcile human beings to one another? So first question, how does God interrupt the cycle of injustice? And second, how does he accomplish both the highest standard of justice and reconciliation? Uh, if you uh, want to comment or question, have a question about today's message, you can put it on the YouTube chat. Um, if I get it early enough, maybe we'll have time to, to deal with those. Uh, if you have my cell number, you can just text me directly. Um, I have a text message already. The YouTube stream has been removed for policy violations. That's interesting. It's fine now. Okay. I, I can imagine our poor tech team at the back, like, scrambling to try to figure out what's going on getting it back up again. But uh, actually, I'm very grateful that our tech team has been in great in keeping us online from day one. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So, so here's an aside, here's an aside. When I was growing up in church, um, every once in a while you'd hear feedback from the sound. And it would be like this horrible screeching. And every time it did, every time something bad happened, like the mic wasn't working or there's feedback, the pastor would say, I'm so grateful for our sound team. But he only ever said it when something went wrong. So at a certain time you go, I don't know if that's a compliment anymore. So I'm happy to compliment our tech team because everything's going right. Um, when I was in high school, uh, there was a kid, he was about a grade younger than me. His name was Tim. Tim was known throughout the school. And uh, he was a nice kid. I didn't know him well, but he had a reputation because he was a Christian kid and he wasn't like in your face preaching to people, but he would, he would like read his Bible at his locker and, and uh, he would have verses up in his locker. And, and he, got, he got flack for that. Like people would, you know, they'd bully him a little bit or tease him or whatever. And, um, but generally he was held in high regard because he was just an all-around super nice guy. He wasn't one of those Christian people that tells everybody they're sinning and going to hell and what they're doing wrong. He would just sort of, in a, in a sort of nice way, just sort of live it out. So he was well-liked, well-regarded, and, and teased mercilessly. And it was, uh, it was a few years after high school, because my, my younger brother was, was very good friends with his younger brother. And so we heard about uh, a ski trip that uh, Tim went on and he was with a car full of people and they got in a bad accident. And out of all the people in the car, he was the one that died. And naturally, like anybody of that age, any young adult when there's a funeral, it is packed. And at a funeral, um, typically somebody will, a bunch of people will stand up and say a bunch of things about the person that might be true. You know, we only remember the good stuff at the funeral. But with Tim, he was the kind of guy that you couldn't say anything bad about. He, everything that you could say about him was good. He was just an all-around really good guy. And of course, the questions come up. Why did this happen? How could this happen? Because there's all kinds of injustice in the world. There's injustice that's accidental, and there's injustice that's perpetrated by evil people. But when it happens to somebody good, when it happens to somebody innocent, you say, there's something really wrong. Why did this happen? And I don't have an answer to that. I don't have an answer as to why Tim died and somebody else didn't. But you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Jesus went to the cross. Because this was not an accident. This was not an accident of history. It wasn't random. What you have is a, is a, is a man who's fully human, fully God, 
who's the ultimate in goodness. He's the ultimate in innocence. When something is wrong, he doesn't turn a blind eye, he speaks up. He lives out the standard that everybody can point to and say, yes, he's doing it right. And there's something about human nature that resents the ultimate goodness because it makes me look bad. Whether it's somebody who's really talented or somebody who's just so, just pure. And so it's, it's the old story of Cain killing Abel. The good is murdered by the resenter. And so Jesus didn't meet an accidental death. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest. And all those in power, all those with self-interest, all those with evil intent, all those with maintaining an oppressive status quo. Like, let's look at this real honestly. You have, you have the pagan Romans are in charge of God's people. They're running the country. If you want a comparison, it would be like Holland being overrun by the Nazis the people who are evil are in charge and everybody else has to suffer under their leadership. And, and the, the leaders in place are trying to maintain peace and they're trying to maintain their own position. And in doing so, they take everything out on the good and the innocent and the pure. And the perfect example of humanity is betrayed and sent to the cross. That's not just an execution. There were all kinds of ways they executed people, but the crucifixion was worse because it was not just about killing somebody. It was about shaming them. It was about dominating them. And so the evil self-serving power hungry, the ones who feel shown up and threatened by the good, they take out the good. If, if you read the biblical story, it sort of between the lines, there's a sense that it isn't just evil people, but there's evil spiritual powers operating behind those people that helped to make this happen. And so Jesus' crucifixion actually exposes the ugliness of the culture. In the same way, it keeps coming up. In the same way, unmarked graves of native children reveal the ugliness of our culture. When, when the innocent and the good are killed by the system, it reveals that there's something wrong with the system. And Jesus' death exposed the ugliness. It brought shame upon that society. And the reality is that if Jesus' death was the end, then injustice wins. And some people come to that conclusion. The world is inherently unjust. Injustice wins. The good die young. And yet, that isn't what happened. Jesus went to his death, and three days later, he rises from the dead. So what was the plan there? What was going on? Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says this. He, talking about Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross in this way. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them 
publicly by his victory over them on the cross. We, we, people have struggled to understand what this means, how this works, how the crucifixion does what is supposed to be done. And there's, there's three uh, ways uh, that this is understood, three general ways. There's a lot of sort of variations of, of these three things, but I want to cover three of them quickly and each one of them could be a, a message in itself. But I want to talk about what happened with the crucifixion. The first thing that happened with the crucifixion is that it revealed Jesus to be the winner. There's a theological term for this, Christus Victor, and it's, it's, a, it's a Latin phrase that means Jesus is the winner. The Messiah is the winner. Christus is, is Christ, which is, means Messiah. So what this means is that Jesus was revealed to be the winner over all those evil demonic powers that tried to take him down. But what's, here's what's really cool about that, okay? Especially in the context of justice and injustice. Jesus did not retaliate with violence or injustice to make that happen. He did not act the way the world acts to make that happen. Rather than fighting fire with fire, he was victor despite what was done to him. And we'll explain how that happens in a minute. The second thing is that Jesus is a representative. So the first thing, he's the winner. The second thing, he's a representative. He's a representative of, of Israel. So Israel was God's plan to rescue the world. Israel was God's plan to deal with injustice. And yet, you read through the sort of second half of the Old Testament, how Israel is continually challenged and berated and condemned for being as unjust as the people that they were supposed to be a model to. The, the, the plan itself... The, the, the people at the center of the plan were flawed enough that they couldn't accomplish the plan. So Jesus himself becomes Israel where Israel can't be Israel. You see what's going on here? God has a, a promise to Abraham. Through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. Your descendants will be the blessing. But they prove themselves incapable of doing that over and over and over again because they're, they're infected with the same flaw that each one of us has, our self-destructive tendency. And so the same oppression and injustice that happens throughout all of humanity is still happening in Israel. And Jesus himself becomes the solution for Israel so he could redefine Israel around himself. He's a representative. And so in Isaiah, you read about this. There's a poem in there called The Suffering Servant. And Jewish people would understand this is talking about the Jewish nation. And Christians would say, no, it's talking about Jesus. Both of those things are true. Jesus is the epitome of what Israel is intended to be, the son of Abraham who fulfills the promise, who through his suffering accomplishes God's purpose, the representative. The third thing is he's a substitute. He does what we cannot do. Because we have that sort of infection that infects all of humanity, we are incapable of ultimately being completely just, being completely good, being completely innocent. So Jesus becomes our substitute. That's why Colossians says he took away the charges against us. Injustice increases and perpetuates indefinitely. We can try our best, but every system we put in place to try to correct a previous system creates new victims. Every time you make a correction to injustice, a new injustice emerges. And we'd like to think that they decrease over time. We don't always see that. After World War II, and the discovery of the Holocaust, there was a cry that went out through the world, never again. It wasn't the first time that kind of thing had happened. There was 
There was the Armenian Holocaust that, uh, or the Armenian genocide happened in the 19-teens that most people aren't even aware of. Never again. And then you see Rwanda, you see Cambodia. There were many times more people killed under the communist regimes than were killed by Nazi Germany. Never again, but it keeps on happening. We're incapable on our own. And, and the, the injustice of our individual human beings and our systems, they scream out against us. We need a substitute. And Jesus as substitute says, he took away the charges against us. Jesus himself willingly chose the path of suffering rather than the path of retaliation. He, he absorbed all of the injustice thrown at him by those evil powers. And he denied injustice itself by refusing to retaliate. He denied injustice itself by just taking it, but not just taking it. Romans 8.3 says this, he, God, sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. I don't love this translation, New Living Translation. Other uh, translations would say God condemned sin in Jesus' body. So Jesus absorbs all the injustice. And in that act on the cross, God reveals sin and injustice to be wrong. He condemns it and overpowers it. He depowers it. And how can God do that? How can God, I mean, how can God use an unjust act to create justice? How does God resolve the paradox of the highest justice as well as reconciliation with people? See, God meets that paradox with another paradox. And that paradox is God absorbs injustice, refuses to retaliate, which seems to affirm injustice. Okay, you get this. God takes on the injustice, absorbs it, doesn't retaliate. So then it seems like injustice wins. In uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Picard in his office, I don't know if you're any Trekkies, in his office, behind where he sits, there, there's a round um, circle with little fish floating around in it. I don't know if anybody noticed that. So that's an example of a closed system. So it was like three or four different organisms that all support one another. So the fish eat this and that supports that. And there's a plant and it's all sealed. And when you have a closed system that, that you have the right organism, organisms that work together, they can continue to survive and thrive because they all support one another. It's a closed system. It doesn't need any, any external input. And in our secular culture, we don't, we're leaning to the idea that God doesn't even exist. That's a closed system. And we live in the rules of that system. And in that system, injustice increases. Except it's not a closed system because God does exist. And so here's how God resolves the paradox because Jesus absorbs all the injustice. So it looks like injustice wins, but God from eternity with his eternal love and power overcomes the injustice from the inside out. 
Jesus chooses the path of suffering willingly, but because God is infinite with infinite love and power, he overcomes the injustice of a closed system. Throw whatever you want at Jesus. It doesn't stick because God overpowers that with his infinite love. It's almost like the, the closed system, he, he, he cracks open the darkness and pours his light and love into it and the light cannot be overcome by the darkness. That's what John says in John 1. The darkness could not overcome, couldn't understand because God's love is too much for the injustice of the world. So it's, it's 2021. It feels like 20 and 2020 and 2022 at the same time because the pandemic sort of has messed up with our sense of time. But why does the death of a good person 2,000 years ago impact us today? How, what does that mean for us? You might ask the question, who cares? How does that make a difference to me? It, it makes a difference in three ways, okay? The first thing is it gives us access to God's healing. When, when, when God sort of cracked open the darkness and poured his love in, overcoming injustice, what that means is that whatever injustice you have faced, and maybe it's little, Maybe you felt like somebody was undermining you at work. Maybe you're haunted by a grade three bullying experience that maybe wasn't that bad, nobody else remembers it, but you remember it. Or maybe the injustice you face is huge, devastating, life-destroying. Because of Jesus' death, we have access to God's infinite love that can overcome any injustice you've experienced, any injustice you face. And it isn't just about ticking the box, oh, I know, great, Jesus won. No, it's about God offers his healing. Any past wounds, any results of injustice can be healed because, uh, because Jesus refused to retaliate and absorbed evil, absorbed injustice. And God's healing power came in and raised him from the dead. It couldn't stick. Bullying, loss, accidental or intentional, betrayal, racism, discrimination, whatever you have faced, God's healing power is available. That's the first thing. The second thing is we have access to God's forgiveness. So why do we need access to God's forgiveness? Because every one of us has participated in injustice. Every one of us at some point has been a willing participant, whether re retaliating to what somebody else did to us, or whether it's just malice or coming out of the wounds of the past. We have to face our own participation. Maybe we've been the bully. Maybe we've put down somebody else for, to make ourselves look better. Maybe we've pitted the kids against our next spouse. We've participated in some way. But because Jesus overcame injustice, he offers forgiveness. Romans says, Paul writes in that letter, the wages of sin is death. The natural consequence, what you earn when you participate in injustice, ultimately you earn death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. It doesn't just mean live forever. I mean, some of us are so miserable, why would we want to live forever? No, it's eternal life available now and forever. The fullest life available now and forever. Because when we bring, when we honestly admit and acknowledge 
our participation, participation in injustice, God says, I wipe the slate clean. I offer healing and I wipe the slate clean. You are no longer defined by your past participation in injustice. The first thing is we have access to God's healing. The second, we have access to God's forgiveness where he wipes the slate clean. And here's a third one, okay? And this, one's, this is tough. This is, this is the part nobody wants to hear. Because we believe that if we follow Jesus, we can achieve the American dream. Health and wealth and you'll never get sick and you'll be rich and, and happy and everybody else will look at you with envy. The third consequence of Jesus' death is that we as his followers are called to participate in his justice response. And his justice response doesn't happen through retaliation and violence. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus is, is about living out his new way of doing things that's made possible by his life-giving love, by refusing to retaliate, by saying no to revenge, but saying yes to resurrection life. What that means, you ever read that part in the Bible where it says, if somebody hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek? Anybody ever actually done that? Thanks for hitting me, hit the other one. It seems like impossible, how do you do that? Because if somebody hits me on the cheek, I just want to hit them back. That's the default, default human mode, right? Somebody hits you, you hit back. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. What that means is absorb injustice, which is kind of, it's counterintuitive, it's unnatural. But see, because Jesus went to the cross and absorbed all the injustice thrown at him and came through the other side, the other side to resurrection, we have, we have access to God's infinite love that can be poured into us and flow out through us. So when somebody does something unjust to us, we are able to respond with love. We are able to respond, not our love, respond with God's love. So Jesus chose the path of suffering to overcome injustice. And in our call to respond to injustice in the world, God's path for that is a path of suffering. That's what we don't like. Uh, I wanted the American dream. I didn't sign up for suffering. But injustice is never the last word. We have a choice to participate in the escalation of injustice. And we don't have to try hard for that, it comes naturally. You can participate in that, or we can be part of the interruption of injustice. Do you want to, do you want to accelerate injustice in the world? No, put your hands down. We want to interrupt injustice. And the way to do that is through the path of suffering. But on that path is resurrection life. Doesn't matter what happens to you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. We absorb injustice, but we're replenished by God's spirit. And that's why in Matthew, Jesus says this to, to his disciples. He says this also to us today. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. Let's not beat around the bush. A cross is not a fancy piece of decoration. It wasn't nice jewelry. It was a system of gruesome execution. Jesus isn't saying wear 
a gold cross around your neck. Take up your cross. Take up the means of your own death and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit? If you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul, is anything worth more than your soul? The cycle of injustice will destroy your soul. It isn't so much that injustice hurts the victim, it also hurts the oppressor. It distorts the human spirit. When we take up our cross, when we're willing to take the path of suffering, we remain whole at the spiritual level. Our call to deal with the response, our, our call to respond to injustice is found on the path of suffering. And, and this is not an easy choice. Jesus himself went into a garden and prayed so intently, intensely, the Bible says he was sweating drops of blood and prayed, Father, if it be your will, let me avoid this. But not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. God's will is to overcome injustice. Does it mean that we welcome suffering? We all become doormats and, and we just shrink away and never, never address injustice in the world. We just remain silent. It doesn't mean that. There is a posture that avoids violence and retaliation but calls out prophetically against injustice in the world. And we're going to talk about that in, in, in a couple of weeks. So... Taking the path of suffering doesn't mean you become a doormat, but it does mean refusing the cycle of retaliation. Uh, a couple of texts. Uh, earlier when discussing Cain and Abel, you said good was killed by the resenter. Wow, I, people watching every word I say. Uh, what are some of the causes of that resentment? How can we recognize when we are the resenter? I think resentment comes from um, envy, but at a deeper level, it comes from the vulnerability of your own inadequacy being revealed. So you resent the person that shows you up, the person that brings out the worst in you, whether it's because they are the worst, or whether they are better than you. I, I heard a story of a, a man who went to a, a counselor and he was struggling. Um, he was struggling with his lack of success in the world. And the guy was pretty successful. And, and, and the, um, his, his psychotherapist said, you're, you're pretty successful in the world. Why are you beating yourself up for, over this? And the guy said, my, my roommate in university was Elon Musk. <sighs> When we place ourselves up against a high standard and our own inadequacies are revealed, resentment is an option. It's not a good option. Um, what is your stance on pacifism given the context of the message? Wow, okay, thanks for that one. I'm not a pacifist. Um, I think there are, there are times when a state, uh, like a, a country um, or a city or whatever, um, has to use force to respond to threats internally and externally. 
Um, and I believe that's the responsibility of the state. I'm not sure it's the responsibility of an individual. So I had somebody come to see me once, you know, says, I'm a cop, how do I, as a cop, you know, how do I, how do I do this when I'm, this is what I expect to do? Because you're, you're an arm of the state. You, you, you're required, somebody has to do that job, and as a Christian, I believe you can do that job. And we do this with a minimum of violence. Um, and that's a really difficult question, uh, but I, I believe that the state has a responsibility um, to maintain order, and part of that order is the, um, it might be the use of force, so. Um, okay, maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and, um, and maybe you're not in a relationship with God and something here has, has hit home. Uh, maybe you're the victim of injustice and you're going, yeah, that healing would be nice. You, could, you can have that in relationship with God. God offers it to you. God wants to reconcile with us. As much as we have a, an inner desire to, to know our creator, here's part of the good news, is the creator wants to know you more than you want to know him. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to heal you. We need to put ourselves in a position where we allow him to. Maybe you've, you've participated in, just, in injustice and you go, I have a hard time sleeping at night. It would be nice if I would know that those things are taken care of, if, if, if this light can be wiped clean. Yes, God has that on offer for you. And it's as simple as, as throwing in your life with him. We say this every week, but it's as simple as ABC. The A stands for acknowledging or admitting your need for him. That you can't heal yourself. You can work through stuff with counseling and psychotherapy, but you can't heal yourself. Only God can heal. When it comes to the ultimate injustices, yeah, we need to forgive one another, but when we're measured up against that highest standard that only Jesus measured up to, we can't bring ourselves there. But God offers forgiveness. God offers acceptance. And so the A is to admit our need. I can't do that on my own. B is to believe. B, it, it, it's not just a, a mental assent. It's, it's trust that Jesus has made the way for you to have a relationship with God that in him, you can meet that standard. In him, you have forgiveness. In him, you have access to, to the healing. And then C is to commit your life to him, which is saying, I'm not gonna do things the old way anymore. The natural default is the cycle of injustice. It's getting, the circle getting bigger and bigger. Injustice getting increasing, increasing all the time. But I'm committing to being part of the solution. I'm committing to refuse retaliation and to live the resurrection life where God cracks open that closed system, even the closed systems of our heart and, and pours in his love and his light that overcomes whatever injustice you have faced. And if you, this is a decision you wanna to make today, I wanna to lead you in a prayer. Just pray these words. You can make these words your own or repeat them out loud. Father in heaven, I wanna thank you that you love me that you have made a way possible for me to be reconciled to you. I admit my need to you today. I'm choosing to trust in Jesus and I'm committing my life to you today. Thank you for welcoming me into your family.
Amen. If this is a decision that you are making today for the first time, I, I want you to connect with us. Go to crosslands.live and, and click the follow Jesus button. Give us your contact info because this is a, a whole new spiritual life that you were not intended to live alone. We are intended to live as family. This is what, who we are at Crosslands Church. We're a community of followers of Jesus. We're striving to follow him faithfully. And so be part of us. Click that button, give us your contact info, and we'll, give you, we'll get a hold of you and, and give you next steps. The world's default is revenge, retaliation, retribution. But God cracked open the system by his love as a gift to us so he could overcome revenge and retaliation and offer reconciliation and offer resurrection life that overpowers whatever injustice we have faced or will face. The real challenge is for us to be willing to walk the path of suffering to further God's triumph of justice over injustice. Absorbing evil, being filled to the full with his love and with his power. And this is our call as a community. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a good God and your love is infinite. I thank you that there's nothing in this world that can separate us from that. Father, we, we love our, our comfort and um, we're continually shocked and horrified by new injustices that show up in headlines. If it's so easy to turn a blind eye. Father, I pray that you would compel us at the heart level to continually be filled by you, to continually be defined by your love, and Lord, make clear to us where we are to be a solution to the injustice of the world in our community, in our relationships, in our workplaces. Give us the courage to walk the path of Jesus' footsteps. May we be sensitive to you, to your presence, to your calling. And may we be sensitive to the people around us and not close our eyes and ears. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.